0: As a kid, I can remember either on like sick days or sometimes in the summer if I was really bored, being home on weekdays and seeing in the morning, I believe it was usually on CBS, uh, The Price is Right, that would always start, right, with this like, come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right! And then they're like, "Yeah, there'd be all sorts of cheering." You're not in the prices right mood, apparently, um, but everyone else would be cheering. People might be wearing pretty, like, ostentatious, out there kind of outfits and shirts with all sorts of things, and they would act as if, like, just by having their name called, right, that somehow their entire life had been transformed because they are now the next contestant on the Price is Right, they will be able to win perhaps a new dining set or something, which I don't know, after taxes in California, I don't know how that comes out for you. But I just remember the pure joy, and there was a time in my life when I thought like, this is the good life. Like to be able to have your name called on the Price is Right and to jump up and to have a whole live studio audience cheering you on, like this must be what the good life is. Others have wondered about what the good life is, and as Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, begins, I think he tries to paint a picture of us of what does God's reign in the world look like? Who are the ones in the crowd who God might be calling their name, and who might find much to their surprise that they are the celebrated ones, though we might view them as the sat upon, the spat upon, the ratted on, as uh, one musical artist has said, uh, that these are in fact the ones who are open to receiving God's enveloping radical love, that this is the blessed life. Which leads me to a question where do we return for renewal when our hearts feel heavy with sorrow? In the context of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has just been traveling and healing and doing miracles. He has been incredibly active, embracing the sorrow, the hurt, the pain, the challenges of the community around him. And he has confronted that and brought healing and relief in pretty miraculous and profound ways. These words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are preceded first by the actions of Jesus in the community to confront evil and injustice wherever it might be. And so in that context, people gather around Jesus, and I can imagine they're looking for some sense of renewal in their heart. And the Beatitudes are some of the most famous words in Scripture. Uh, They are some of the ones that we look to the most and yet I think after a week like many of us have had it can be really hard to wonder do those words really hold up? In light of just a week ago when we were here and just reeling initially under the news of a shooting in Monterey Park and then just a few days later another shooting and then more recently the release of a video that I have personally so far chosen not to watch and instead to bear witness to the life of uh, tyree nichols but nevertheless wherever you're on that has just seemingly brought more sorrow and rage and frustration and anger uh, for how at times broken and at odds and unsafe our world can seem tyree nichols himself said Photography helps me look at the world in a more creative way. It expresses me in ways I cannot write down for people. My vision is to bring my viewers deep into what I am seeing through my eye and out through my lens. People have a story to tell. Why not capture it? And part of, as I have felt overwhelmed uh, with sorrow this week, part of what has been a balm for me is not to focus on the horrific end of his life, but to spend some time looking at images that he captured, to watch video of him skateboarding one of his passions, and to bear witness uh, to the wonder, the gift of his life, even as we know it was tragically unjustly cut short. Uh, He was originally from Sacramento, and Nico Chapman, who grew up with him remembers that oftentimes their parents would not want them to go skateboarding it seemed like maybe not the safest place for someone who was incredibly young but whenever they knew that Tyree Nichols was going to be there Nico Chapman's parents would say you can go and so Nico says I remember people that are really kind to you and Tyree was just a really kind person he always made me feel really welcome and so we just think of a life that welcomed and loved so many others and that found such a lack not only of just welcome but of violence and destruction as he was trying to make his way home just a few houses away from where he lived. While I'm grateful for actions that have already been taken in terms of those against uh, the police officers who ultimately took his life and for the disbanding of the scorpion unit that was the type of unit that was going in these high crime areas uh, to investigate We still lament and know that there are structural injustices that continue to be why things like this happen and why Unfortunately, there will probably be a time uh, in a few months where one of us will be up here again lamenting with you whatever the next tragedy is. And so in light of all of that, what do we do? I was reminded of the words of Dante Stewart when his book, Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle, uh, writes this excerpt that I will now read to you. After I left the scene, I couldn't help but think of my son, my beautiful baby boy. I could not help but think of the deep fear as deep as the memories that I lock in the crevice of my mind that has taken over me since he was born. It is abiding. From time to time, I hold him, I hold his flesh tightly and write poems and psalms to him, trying to let my heart become a proverb. I want his black body to grow up, I want him to learn to run like his daddy, maybe learn to paint, play drums, be nerdy, lanky, learn to jump, but I know he will also see dead black bodies. He will have questions, and I don't know if I will have answers, what I do know, black people deserve love. Black people don't deserve bullets. Black people deserve tenderness. Black people don't deserve terror. I know that one day he will nestle in my arms and we will cry together. My poor child and I will cry because we will know the terror together. We will both have to try to find our song to sing. We will both have to strain our necks forward, hoping to produce a faint note, a whisper, a strong enough to keep us going. When that happens, because I know it will, I will anoint his head with the oil of my black prayers that came from my mother's black lips over my black body. As she quoted black people's most cherished verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff cover me. I will let him know what she let me know. Jesus does not forget black Bodies, Our black bodies. Jesus does not forget bruised and abused black bodies. That is good news. But I know that this word will not always be enough because my son and I will have to enter back into a world that does not protect bodies like ours. Dante Stewart shares very rawly about the conundrum that many parents, uh, in this instance in the black community, we also know uh, with instances that happen at Monterey Park within the Asian Pacific Islander community, uh, the pain of having to explain to someone uh, why a community has been targeted, why you may not feel as safe as you would want them to feel, why you don't want someone, you can remember Martin Luther King Jr. talking about when one of his children asked him why they couldn't go to the amusement park in atlanta georgia um, that was segregated and he said i could see the clouds of discrimination and of inferiority beginning to gather over my child's head and i didn't want that to happen but how do you confer upon someone their blessed beautiful created an image of god worthy of being celebrated self And at the same time, acknowledge that there are people who don't live into that story. But there are people who are threatened by our distinctions and differences and will seek to do us harm. I was recently in Washington, D.C., and I got to go to the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I had already seen the history, which if you've been there, you know, it was like the basement floors, but I had not been to the culture, which are the floors that you have to go upward to see. And by far, the thing I was most excited to see when I got there was uh, the Parliament Funkadelic's mothership. Uh, It was just like there in all of its amazing, incredible, funky beautifulness. And though I never was able to attend a concert for a couple of decades, this ship was sort of the centerpiece of much of their staging performances and they would talk about this ship uh, transporting you to a plane where there was no longer any racism. It was helping you to tune in to a vibe that perhaps was not experienced in the current time of the 70s or the 80s was inviting people who were beleaguered, who were warned to dream, to imagine that there could be a space and a place where there was more than enough, where our distinctions were not reasons for division, but for celebration, that there could be a time when we could all be able to rejoice and live in beloved community and the ship was going to be the way that we would get there. I think Jesus is offering us some of this when it comes to the Beatitudes. And so we go, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' day, to be poor economically or to be in an impoverished spiritual state, we're seeing as synonymous. They would have been connected. And so arguing over whether this is about people who are economically poor or people who feel distant or disobedient from God is really not the point because there would not have been that distinction In Jesus day and I think many of us here can feel at times whether it's the economic crunch of living in a system where it seems like the haves and the have-nots are getting further and further apart or whether it's that spiritual crunch of having felt at one point that you came from a tradition where you knew what you needed to do to be close to God and it worked until it didn't and now you're here and wondering what does it look like to engage with the living God, uh, can I do that and how do I do that when it seems like all that I was taught has kind of crumbled around me. This, where do you experience impoverishment in your own life or in our society? For each of these Beatitudes, I've also paired uh, something from Mark Scandretti's Ninefold Path, Key Beatitude Invitations. And so he says with this one that he thinks an invitation in this Beatitude is to the way of trust You don't have to make it on your own. You can lean into vulnerability and interdependence. He also pairs these with the Enneagram typology, and so he says he thinks particularly that it's an invitation for all of us. It's a special invitation for Type 8, the challenger. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We've done so much mourning, not just in the past week, but over the past few years as our sense of safety, as our institutions like democracy and ability to vote, as our safety uh, and a criminal justice system that has never been just to many communities within our country uh, continues to shake out in ways that are painful and harmful. And yet Jesus looks to us when we are mourning, when we are distraught, when we are in grief, and, he seems to say, I know it wouldn't feel like it, but you right now can be enveloped in God's radical love. You can experience the blessing that comes not from running away from our pain, which is often many of our first tendencies, but instead confronting it, allowing ourselves to sit with it. Because when we don't, we leave big parts of ourselves behind We compartmentalize them and cut them off, and we lose sight and touch of who we truly are. So blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Mark Scandretti invites us into the way of lament to stop running from pain, to believe a true source of comfort is near. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I remember being in an intro to uh, the Hebrew Bible course in seminary, and uh, my professor, Liling Nan, uh, suggested that since Christianity had largely had male theologians' voices inputting into it, it made sense that many theologians would say that the chief sin of Adam and Eve was pride. Um, but she said, but I wonder if there had been more women in marginalized communities speaking in communities that had not had the chance, the power, the privilege that so many of these male theologians had. If they might have named a different sin, uh, that sometimes it's not that we are too proudful, but that we have learned to shrink ourselves down into almost nothing to accommodate to the status quo. And perhaps for some people, the invitation or the sin is not, don't puff up, but instead, no, you need to fill up the sacred space that God has given you. And I think this is the invitation for the meek. Not to be too big for our britches, as my dad might say, um, but also not to shrink down, but instead to stand in the essence of our sacred self, to know who we are, and to live the truth that our voice and our actions matter in this world. The uh, invitation is the way of humility to embrace the reality you are beloved, not because of what you do for others, but for your inherent dignity and worth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, This word for righteousness is... Uh, It's the same word that is the word for justice. And so when I hear this one, I think of, blessed are those who are starved for justice, right? Who just like have the hunger pains of living in an unjust world and are desperately needing the nourishment of justice in our world. And Jesus says, when you find yourself in this place, as we find ourselves again and again, you are blessed and you can trust that yes, ultimately, God's justice will reign on the world, but even now that we can be co-participants in bringing about a more just world right now. The invitation is the way of justice, learning to ache for change and to step into action. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Micah 6.8 Uh, which is also one of the verses in the lectionary for this week, uh, says to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And this is what some people would say is the summation of the Hebrew Bible's ethic for how to live our lives. And I find it interesting that immediately after doing justice, we are called to love mercy. I think this means both loving mercy in terms of receiving it for ourselves, uh, There's always more you could do, ought to do, should be doing. Uh, And so at times to be able to receive the mercy of that you are doing what you are called to do and that not everything is yours to do and that there will be mistakes that we all make along the way. But to own those, to make amends for those and to keep moving, but also to give mercy to other people to people that are different places in their own journey, to people that we may currently see even as oppressors in the system. This is not to create some unhealthy relationship between us, but also so that we don't allow their evil to create resentment within ourselves primarily, right? And so we give mercy not as a way of continuing to be victimized, but as a way of releasing ourselves from that pain. Mark Scandretti calls this the way of compassion, to stop judging and to learn to look with love. We move on to blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is about living a life that is congruent with our values, to recommit ourselves to what matters most and to make sure that how we are living is truly aligned with what we say matters most to us. It's about checking our motives and our intentions and recalibrating our actions to be in alignment with them. The way of right motive is here to choose goodness and to show the real you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. These are not the peacekeepers who tell those who are marginalized to wait and to be silent so that we can have some sort of false sense of unity rather these are the peacemakers who will step into the middle of conflict and will be advocates on behalf of those who are marginalized and say let's hear what they have to say let's empower them how can they have not just a place at the table but a whole different kind of table to sit around that is more balanced and just and free this is the kind of peace making we're invited into to make peace and to reach past differences, to just get beyond intellectualizing things and to start doing the work. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a persecution that comes for the sake of God's justice, right? This righteousness is that same word of justice. So say, blessed are you when you're persecuted not because you're being an idiot on social media, because you think somehow that you have figured out what whatever thing is doing, but instead, when you truly are enacting and embodying God's justice in the world, and the system resists you and begins to strike back at you. That kind of persecution, Jesus says, when when you're doing that, you're you're a part of bringing about my reign of truth and justice and beloved community in the world, and that's that's blessed. Uh, you're you're entering into my reign. You are bringing it. You are making it present. It is coming on down, just as the announcer might say. You can imagine Jesus come on down for justice, and it coming down, and we celebrate that. And finally. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see that God's kingdom will not be birthed without labor pains. That if we are a part of God's global movement, then... The pains that we experience along the way of politicians not living up to their promises, which we shouldn't feel painful anymore because it happens so regularly, but nevertheless does, um, of our heroes having feet of clay, of uh, people who are supposed to be protecting us, being those who are persecuting us. Uh, These are labor pains along the way as And the question I then have is, what does it mean for us to be midwives and to be doulas that are helping through, coach through that pain and showing us how we can be centered on our breath and on what the spirit of God is doing and how we can get through this pain because the point isn't the pain, but it is the new thing that God is birthing. This is the way of radical love to have hope and to live fearlessly. When I was at the National Museum of African American History and Culture, I also saw another mothership that I was not aware of. This is a work of Jefferson Ponder, and it is made out of both wood that was taken from Barack Obama's 2009 inaugural address, like the stage that it was on, and also metal tiles, tin tiles from a roof uh, in a home in Baltimore, Maryland, and it is made... To look like one of the like 1960s, early 70s space capsules that happened. And Jefferson uh, Ponder said this. We grew up when NASA was in its golden age. Remember, the first interracial kiss on television was in outer space on Star Trek. Science fiction fantasy is, in part, a spiritual place that African Americans have always inhabited. He envisioned... This is being both a look back to the past and a reminder of the present and a hope for the future. It seems a little less audacious, perhaps, than uh, the mothership that we got from the P-funk, but it's also rooted to those painful and challenging realities, acknowledging progress, and still, I think, being honest about how much further we all have to go. I want to invite you to join me as we close this time in a prayer from Bruce Reyes Chow. He was mostly reflecting on the ways that social media can be a challenging space for us, particularly in times of injustice. Uh, And so as we typically do, uh, I will read the words in white and ask you to read with me the words in yellow to close our time. We are told that God wants us to live in fear to protect what we have, to hate the other, to believe lies as truth, when falsehoods begin to overwhelm our spirits and we want to lash out or hide away, I God, give, give us the courage, the courage to believe perfectly, perfect love is not driven by fear. We are told that God's love is measurable and finite, that there are borders and boundaries between those who are and are not loved by God. When we begin to see your love as a limited commodity, and ourselves as its arbiters. God, God is it we are told that to be tolerant and loving means that every story must be given equal weight, taken at face value, and embrace this truth. When we ignore our intuition, amplify falsehoods, and honor deceit, God, give us wisdom. We are told that there is nothing we can do, that we are powerless, that things have always been this way, and that energy is wasted trying to speak words of truth to a litany of lives. When we choose to avoid conflict because it's easier to waste our voice in space of influence and to justify our privilege. God, give us the fortitude to step into the grave and seek your perfect love in space. God is love. God tells us that we are loved. God shows us that love is not fearful. God's love is perfect. With this perfect love, we you do not fear. Because of this perfect love, we love more.